Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like we need our coffee. As always, I am Scott Lentz, here with my good friend and co-host, Christian Ubius. Christian, after last week's conversation, I sincerely thought about dropping your full name here to open this podcast, but I'll respect your wishes and repeat the name as I have for previous episodes. Is, is that okay with you? Yes. Okay. Good. Very good. At least, Christian, I pronounce it correctly, as whenever I text you with uh, Siri or anything, she likes to call you Christian Ubilis, so we can switch it up to that. Maybe if you want some sort of pen name situation, stage name, perhaps, Ubilis sit well with you. I want to be known as the guy with the good hair. Guy with the good hair. Well, in this duo, that's an easy win for you, <laughs> my friend. <laughs> so... Welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast. I am Scott Lentz, as always, here with my good friend, the guy with good hair, and we are excited to kick off a brand new blend of the month for the very spooky month of September. That's right. Even though it is September and not October, we are going to be taking a look at a variety of horror movies this month, and we're specifically looking at pairs each week. Christian, this was your pick for a blend of the month, so I will turn it back to you. Go ahead and just briefly catch the listeners up on our blend for the month. So this blend, uh, I am tentatively calling uh, horror movies and their eventual sequels. Very wordy, but it's okay. (laughs) Look, man, when you choose a blend, you can call it whatever you want. So each one of these is a horror movie that is considered a classic of the genre and has furthered different steps of the genre. Each one of these had sequels that immediately came afterwards that tie in in some way, shape, or form. And each one of these movies, after a decade or more, got a new sequel, direct sequel of the original movie that either ignored the other films or retconned them. And this week we're starting off with the Blair Witch Project from 1999 and we are then moving on to the sequel from 2016 called Blair Witch, which retconned the events of Blair Witch 2, Book of Shadows. Poor Blair Witch 2, Book of Shadows, the sequel to a phenomenon that was roundly hated by everybody, and I I didn't even watch it for this podcast, mostly because our streaming options were a little bit limited, and I would have had to rent it on Amazon, and frankly, I didn't want to pay the $4 to watch what would probably be a very bad movie. So, sorry, Blair Witch 2. Did you watch it, Christian? No. Okay, perfect. <laughs> So for all you real Blair Witch fans out there... It wasn't part of the blend. (laughs) You can catch us up on what we missed. Apparently, it's a... This might be a spoiler. I don't even know. I was just going off the Wikipedia page for the the movies, but apparently it's a film within a film. So it's not even an... I don't even know. (laughs) Seems to be a little bit of an odd duck as it is. Alright, so here's what we're going to do, Scott. At least each week, we're still going to be in three different segments. We'll still have our review at the end, our whatever we're doing in the middle for fun facts in the middle. But at the beginning, we're going to switch it up from week to week because it's not just... It it is going to be a little bit of background info. It is also going to be right now... um, What are your thoughts on retconning? Retconning... You know, explain what retconning is. Yes. So retcon, for those of you who aren't familiar with the term, 
is used to talk about franchises when something about preceding material is erased, changed, etc. This happens, for example, all the time in comic books. So different heroes obviously have their origin stories retconned all the time, whether they're motivated by the death of their parents or instead by an alien giving them powers or some such thing. And in the movies, this often happens with a sequel. A very common example of this, a recent example, is in the new Star Wars sequels, where in Star Wars The Last Jedi, we're told that Rey's parents are nobody. And then in Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, we're told, just kidding, her parents weren't nobody. They were important people who chose to be nobodies, and she's actually a descendant of Palpatine. So that is... What? I know, I know, for shame. So that is what retconning is. So all of these sequels in some way are erasing past movies or erasing choices made by the sequels and keeping some elements to continue the story. Yes. So specifically this week, we are dealing with the Blair Witch Project and Blair Witch. And they're, um, again, neither of us have seen Book of Shadows. (laughs) Not, whatever. Whatever. It's true. Sorry, but, Book of Shadows. But I, I guess a question before we start off is, we are dealing with movies that waited at least a decade before um, they saw the unsuccessful nature of the sequels, stopped probably for a couple of years, and then tried again with the franchise. What is your What are your thoughts on that? That someone wants to resurrect a form of IP? Clearly... Part of it is for the money. Like, like that, we, we get that. <laughs> yeah, It's we definitely for the money. But they're also thinking some things will be profitable. So what are your thoughts on just waiting that long of a time in order to do a retcon and say, no, we want to go back to the success of the original? With a retcon specifically, I don't, I don't have too strong of opinions. I think... Obviously, we want more original stories being told, and it's, sometimes it's great to have actors you like tied up in these franchises, but then it sucks when you realize the only movies they made for five to eight straight years are from this franchise. You know, you want people to be able to expand beyond, and so when a b- delayed, belated sequel feels like a cash grab, and it's obviously not good, that's when it sucks, when you just wish this could have been something original, and... If only it had not tried to connect to this thing from the past, maybe it could have been good on its own. But I think sometimes, frankly, these can turn out well. And I know one example that I like a lot more than a lot of people is the all-female twist on Ghostbusters, which I just thought was a sincerely funny summer blockbuster that featured a lot of actresses that I liked. And even though some people hated it, I liked that it wasn't super connected to the original Ghostbusters movies, and it stood on its own. And was just a a cool twist on a formula of having, you know, the famous foursome from the original movies now replaced with four famous women of this time. So I tried to leave myself open to each movie on its own terms, knowing that there's nothing I can do to stop Hollywood from doing this. And that it's not always bad or for the worst, even if it doesn't always work out. Do you you think anything majorly differently? Well, I'm... Okay, I'm thinking of the X-Men sequels right now. Now, the X-Men sequels are are convoluted, just putting it lightly. Yes. And, and they went in, like, three, four different directions, some of which were more successful than others, and, and, and at times were just so weird. We, we don't know what's going on. 
Um, and and you, despite your level of enjoyment, it does feel with many of them, Dark Phoenix, Apocalypse, like a cash grab. Okay. Because you got to keep the license and you got to keep making movies. Yeah. And not like they're actually trying to advance a superhero story. Now, I have, I'm venturing into it, we'll talk Blair Witch a little bit more later. Blair Witch and the next two movies feel like distinct they're not just trying to harp on the success of the original. Would you agree with that, at least for this week? I would say, if anything, Blair Witch 2 was an obvious cash grab. No, 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 no. Not Blair Witch 2. Blair Witch. The, the, the one we're actually the discussing 20, today. Okay, the 2016 sequel. I, yeah, I don't know. I think it's actually an interesting spin on this formula, especially because we don't have a ton of Blair Witch movies. We had a, a widely derided sequel and then nothing for over 15 years. And so I think the concept of Blair Witch is definitely an, an example of returning to an to IP that is obviously motivated by business, but also that was promising from the outset, especially with the way that they initially marketed the movie. Okay, so let with, with that, let's talk just background information. And we're not going to spend long, a long time on this before we head into Fun facts, but why don't you give the synopsis a little bit for Blair Witch Project and I'll talk Blair Witch. Right. So the Blair Witch Project debuted very famously at the Sundance Film Festival in 1999 before a wide release that year. It was directed by Daniel Myrick and Eduardo Sanchez and starred only Heather Donahue, Michael C. Williams, and Joshua Leonard. Myrick and Sanchez took a an existing form, the found footage movie, but it was the Blair Witch Project that brought it to the mainstream. Uh, Blair Witch Project was made for a very small budget, uh, less than a hundred thousand or less than a million dollars. Depends on if you incorporate marketing and whatnot, but it eventually brought in almost two hundred fifty million dollars at the global box office. It was a phenomenon, and it was a huge turning point for the industry in terms of marketing and found footage horror coming back. And so we might get a chance to get into that later. But it follows the three actors I mentioned playing characters named after themselves. So Heather, Mike, and Josh, who are a student documentary film crew who venture into the woods in Burkittsville, Maryland, looking for the Blair Witch. Heather is hoping to make a project on this old myth and legend and about the surrounding town. And of course, because it's a horror movie, things start to go awry. So Blair Witch in, came out in 2016. It is directed by Adam Wingard and written by Simon Barrett. Uh, Adam Wingard, kind of a known horror director in the 2010s at least. I know he did Your Next um, along with a couple of other films in that time. And it stars a, a small group of people, uh, James Allen McCune leading that charge. It's a little bit more, but we expand from three to six. So again, still a small cast. And James is the, his name in the movie is also James, the brother of Heather, who seeks to go into the woods where the Blair Witch is rumored to be in order to find her, his sister's remains. So that is the the tie-in and they have the footage that we know as the 1999 the Blair Witch Project movie but now they are instead of just like the handheld camera that they're using they each have their own like face cameras and they're using a drone and they're using different types of mics so um it it is modernizing for lack of a better word this formula 
And it, it probably bears mentioning here that the original Blair Witch Project was filmed on two cameras, one film, one digital, both handheld. And so the sequel expands on the different cameras at our actors' disposal. Right. Let's move on to fun facts. I want to I want to just discuss these two movies, and we have two movies to discuss, so let's move on to fun facts. Um, what do you got? So the original Blair Witch Project naturally was highly improvised in its dialogue, and the actors, when they were auditioning for the movie obviously had to like practice this improvisation and all in all they had a pool of 2000 actors before winnowing it down and deciding on the three that appeared in the movie so kudos to heather mike and josh for not only their acting talents but being able to improvise well as obviously it, it came in handy <laughs> while shooting that movie uh so my fun fact has to do with blair witch in that the film was kept closely guarded it was actually rumored to be a movie called The Woods by Adam Wingard. And the reason for that was because the filmmakers didn't want internet backlash that they thought they would get if internet commentators knew they were doing a reboot to this beloved 1999 movie. I vaguely remember that. I remember being on the internet when this was happening, and I hadn't seen the original Blair Witch Project at the time, so it didn't matter as much to me. But I just remember all of the, the excitement that was going on when this was finally revealed. Another example of acquiring a lot of something and then winnowing it down, but apparently after the actors went out into the woods for the original Blair Witch Project, they shot over 20 hours of film, which they then edited down to the 82-minute-plus-credits movie that we have today. So, again, <laughs> just, I can't imagine having that much footage and having to create a competent movie from it, so a, a tall task. But again, 2,000 actors to three, 20 hours of footage to just over one hour of actual movie. So, this is my last thing. Blair Witch is considered a box office disappointment, but it isn't a box office flop. So it was made for $5 million and produced $45.2 million, but the Blair Witch Project was made with for $60,000 and made $250 million. Right. And the reason I mentioned the number I did earlier was because, you know, on some online listings, it has the marketing budget and things factored in. So again, going from a $60,000 production budget to almost $250 million is absolutely insane. And last fun fact I'll share here, if you're a fan of the original Blair Witch Project or a fan of these movies, there is a huge and expanding universe around the Blair Witch, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit as we actually review these movies. But not only are there the three movies we've mentioned, there's a number of video games, including some produced around the time of the original for the PC, I believe, one that came out later on consoles around the time of Blair Witch, and there's also comic books and even some mockumentaries that aired around the time of the original movie hitting theaters, all trying to build on the mythos of this. So kudos to Myra and Sanchez at the beginning for putting in all of this thought and effort into creating just their movie, but helping to expand around the marketing efforts. And now, of course, it's become something so much larger. Here's where we're now going to go into our review. And I've thought long and hard about how it is that we should do it, how we're going to spend the bulk of our time here, or maybe not the bulk, maybe we'll just stop at one point, and that's cool. Is the Blair Witch Project, you have two opening questions, is the Blair Perfect. Witch Project from 1999, does it deserve the title of horror movie classic? And does the 2016 Blair Witch live up to its predecessor? 
Yes. No. Okay. So you know what my thoughts are on these movies. So we're going to fight. And we're <laughs> no, going to we fight are. at some point. Yeah, we but are. but let's let's start happy. Let us start happy. The Blair Witch Project, incredible. So I, I actually don't even know if I would say it's incredible. Okay, you can get out <laughs> at this point. I was I, I went in with an open mind. I knew a lot about the movie before watching it. And I... I, look, this movie is a deserving classic of the horror genre. It's one of the most important movies coming out right at the turn of the century. Like, The Blair Witch Project is deserving of all of the praise and acclaim that it's gotten. And there are there are parts of it that I love. I overall like the movie. I'm, it's, it's a solid movie for me to watch and enjoy. But I respect the hell out of it. Which, with everything that we've been talking about with how much it affected the industry and how it's lived on all of these years later and is still a beloved classic that people are watching all the time today. So you have had a much stronger reaction in Bro, this favor. Movie is, this movie is great. Oh my, it is terrifying in a way. And this is, uh, this is what my horror professor always said. The beauty about horror movies and why um, producers will never stop making them is that they can be made for dirt cheap. Dirt cheap. Oh my goodness, you never, ever see the Blair Witch in this movie. And yet, you are scared out of your mind because of what these people are reacting to. Which says both something about the story, the screenwriting, in terms of this concept being brought up. The directing, in terms of them knowing how to make their actors react. And these actors being able to react to something that is not there. I mean, these are some really... Probably under, I don't know if they're underrated, actually. I haven't looked into too much of the conversation around the actors themselves, but some really impressive performances. And you see why these three people got chosen from that huge pool. Really, just so impressive, knowing that, again, the the threat is not visible. <laughs> and yet, it's ever-present. And these three have to play off each other, often act on their own, play off the, the, the witch who we can't see and all of that. It, it's just, that part is actually incredible. And honestly... Heather Donahue, it is a crying shame that she did not go on to a longer career because this is one of the best horror movie performances I've ever seen. Yes. Absolutely fantastic. Um, I'll, I'll share my thoughts on Blair Witch later, but her, out of these two movies, stand out. 100% the standout of what we've been able to see. I think, you know, she, as you watch this movie, you'll know, she bears the... I guess the brunt of the dialogue and story, it's her project that she's gotten these two to help out with. She is doing most of the filming and has to create this character largely from behind a camera with just her voice. And yet she feels fully realized and her descent into terror is so honest. And she has just some completely standout moments near the end of this movie. The famous, most famous shot, aside from the ending, is probably the one from the poster where we see her with her face pressed up against the camera as she is sobbing in fear and that I, scene i was is covering my eyes incredible i was covering my eyes because there's all this like dark shadow thing but like to her right she's so masterfully only taking up a little bit more than half the screen and there's all this screen that i'm like something's there something's definitely there something's gonna eat you or some i don't know yeah. <laughs> girl you're gone um okay did you find this movie scary I was going to bring it up if you didn't, and I think that's part of why I had more of a 
muted reaction to the Blair Witch Project because I wasn't, I guess I wasn't super scared. And I wonder okay. how much of that has to do, because I'm not going to sit here and be so super cool and say like the Blair Witch Project isn't scary because it's been scaring people for almost as long as I've been alive. So I, I, I just wasn't particularly like grabbed by too many parts of this movie. Definitely some that got me to jump in my seat and I, you know, gasp a little bit. But having watched The Conjuring movies with me earlier this year, Christian, at least two of the three, you know that I like to talk back to my horror movies. And so when I'm feeling scared, I'll, I'll just sit there and say, no, no, no. Or I'll be, I'm the person who says, don't do it to the characters in the movie. And I just didn't find myself particularly on the edge of my seat for most of the movie. But obviously it worked for you and you got your, your chills and thrills. I did. And that was because they're not treating it like a horror movie. There are no... This isn't a slasher flick. This isn't. This is a supernatural movie more than it is a horror movie, and yet it's that fear of the unknown when they're not out there trying to face something. They're not out there thinking there is actually a witch here. They're just out there looking for their own stuff, and they refuse to acknowledge the existence of a witch until they cannot anymore. And that's to me why um, it, it's one of the things that I both liked and disliked about The Exorcist with, that we reviewed earlier this year because The Exorcist was shot basically in a documentary style and that made some of the moments, I don't know if it's like more frightening but even more um, poignant when you've, you've got this little girl tormenting and, and it's not that they're trying to like look at a possessed demonic girl, a mother's just trying to be with her child. Here, this girl is just trying to get her documentary done. And I, I do think that that, like, underlying wanting a sense of purpose allowed for these scares to get to me. I see what you're saying. And, yeah, I, I guess, I don't know, maybe, <laughs> maybe I wasn't as checked in as I should have been or something. <laughs> but I did my best not to look at my phone or anything, which I normally try to do when we're talking about something for the show but especially for a horror movie i'm trying to keep distractions away and get sucked in so that i can be properly scared but one thing that i will say works really well about the blair witch project that i will sort of hint at our conversation about blair witch coming up that i prefer about the blair witch project as opposed to blair witch is that there's a really good flow to it where because it's found footage style and we just have the edited together project footage plus their recording their daily comings and goings we do see the descent into fear and terror and madness even and there this is a lot of it is built on a structure of going from day to night because during the day things are kind of fine they do a lot of hiking they're exploring and then during the night is when things start to go go bump <laughs> when scary things start happening and so we're not only part of part of the project with them, hoping they can get out of the woods or hoping that they can survive the next night. But it's just this great trick of editing in a way where we're not sure when the next cut's going to come and then all of a sudden it's going to be night again. Sometimes, of course, they're setting up camp and it makes sense, but you're not always sure exactly when they're going to cut tonight and then it's time to be scared again. So I, I, I like the structure of it. And obviously, so much what's footage was shot and they had to winnow it down so much. And I think... The cut of the movie that we have is, is really impressive, especially going down to how short of a movie this is and how packed and contained it is. And I think that's given that, actually, that might be my one complaint. I feel like it could have been even shorter, slightly more compact, and to truly get into the 
dang, this this really isn't that long of a movie. Focusing a little bit more on the scary parts, and you've got like an incredible, incredible thing. But and you know, it's like they already cut it down to eighty-two minutes. So how do you do that? But I, in a way, I sort of agree with you. And if this had been even more taut and compact, maybe it would have been more effective for me. And again, I would still, I would still say this movie's a deserving classic. This is one that you definitely should watch if you haven't seen it yet, whether or not you like horror movies. But in a weird way, I kind of do agree with you that if they had shortened it a little bit, it could have been even more effective. Which is funny, though, because I think one of the things they could have taken away is the beginning interviews with the people from the town, but yet that's also one of my favorite parts of the movie. And I, I would say that that is pretty crucial because, yeah. you know, we're walking along with this crew, and now, of course, we know what happens because this is a famous movie, but all the townspeople are sharing all these stories and legends and we have to follow along with, you know, are these people, are these just stories or are they not? Are these just myths or, oh gosh, are they not? It's almost like the nomads from Nomadland where they, I'm assuming that these people in the town don't have any prior real um, acting experience yet. The way that they're talking is, is so beautifully like ornate and real. Like these seem like people who lived in a town that was next to a curse or haunted woods. And they're like, I don't believe in the curse, but I'm still not going to go into those woods. (laughs) Right. I think from what I know, to keep the actors on their toes, it was a mix of actors and real townspeople. So the directors would have people planted and they would just ask the actors to walk up and ask people questions. And then they, they wouldn't know when they were going to get something like this, the, the town's stories. But I assume the one with the, the woman who, lives off in a trailer that she was an actress i would assume i'm not sure that she was a a real person giving all of this detail about the blair witch for example but it is a really effective opening to the movie especially because we see how we see the happy-go-lucky nature of this shoot and heather especially is all excited she's gonna get her project done it's gonna be so fun and she's gonna be this awesome director and She's got these guys who are just working for her, basically. And you see how excited and happy they all are. And it, of course, goes to hell. <laughs> so, again, it's good to set up where these people are at and how they're going into the woods. And then we see what happens as they go deeper in. So, with that, let's transition now to 2016's Blair Witch. I want to congratulate myself. Because this movie was sitting at a 2.3 rating on uh, Letterboxd, and I gave it 4.5 out of 5 stars, and it went up to 2.4. Good for me. I changed the trajectory of this movie. Moved the needle for Blair Witch. (laughs) I moved the needle. I love this movie, and I'm assuming you've read my review. I have read your review. So, um, before, because you know my thoughts, I'm still, all I know is that you weren't a fan. And so let's go into why you were not a fan of this movie and then why you're wrong. First of all, Christian, I'm not wrong. Second of all, this might be unprecedented where you sincerely love something and I'm going to be the one to come up against it. I feel like normally... Do you hate it? So... You hate it! I was wrestling... Good for you! I was wrestling... <laughs> I'm so happy! ...with my thoughts on this movie. And I think... I don't... 
It's not a good movie, and I will fight you on it being a. I will fight you on it being not only a great movie, but according to your star ratings, better than the original. I will fight you on that. I don't think it's an absolute travesty or a failure, and some people like really trashed this movie. I think there are definitely some things that work, but unfortunately, in my opinion, it's just kind of a worse version of the original. And okay. there are specific differences that I think. I, that make me dock this movie points in comparison to the original. Especially because, like we talked about it with the marketing, they were building it up as just this movie called The Woods, and then boom, it's Blair Witch. It's this 20 years later sequel. Man, get excited. And so they're really trying to tie into the mythos and the larger universe. And so it, it further opens itself up to comparison. And I think it fails on a number of points. And I'm curious to hear your defense for some of these. But go go ahead. I want you to have this moment. Talk about why you loved this movie so much. Because, like, for the listeners, four and a half five stars, four and a half out of five stars in Letterboxd is obviously a movie that you love. And the original, you gave four stars, correct? Yes. So you like this the sequel more. I and like I the am sequel more. Very curious to hear your full throated defense. In the original movie. We could tell that these individuals were either college age or slightly out of college. The, and, and you you almost saw that in a, a little bit in the confidence and arrogance that they were showing. And I think that that kind of trademark bickering amongst them is what helped the dynamic of the movie. Because we've, the, both of us have said Heather, phenomenal actress in that film. And honestly, her banter with the other two who are also great actors of their own. This one gives us further backstory and chemistry amongst the actors it introduces. And I think that that was a genius play. It's four college students-ish, close to college students, and then it is two students who live in the... Um, it's not the town of Blair. It used to be the it's town of Blair. It's Burkittsville. Burkittsville the... that used to be called the town of Blair. Right. Um, it's two natives there who are going into the woods together. Much greater emphasis, I believe, was placed in the dynamics, ro uh, romantic relationships, spewing and bickering amongst them, and it was kind of honed in their youth, how immature they are, how, um, not just how immature they are, how arrogant and kind of stupid and kind of entitled they are for this individual to feel and and speaking on behalf of the witch at this point how dare you think you could just come into my woods and grab your sister and the idea that they went full throttle on dating itself a thing that i don't think the 1999 movie did and sometimes it's a bad thing but their use of drones their use of face cameras their different uses of walkie-talkies as well as all of the technology that they incorporated added like four to five different uh, views and cuts and audios that we could really see oh these are people trying this is a project and uh, like I said in my review, what I thought makes this a notch above, not just the original, but other movies, it acts as a an, an indictment of today's youth and today's use of 
um, social media, today's use of video and camera, the need that people have to document everything, and the entitlement that they feel that there are things to document. It didn't just work to me as a scary movie, which I honestly do think is frightening. When the tree falls, when the girl falls from the tree, when they, uh, when they break the totem in half, the one that has the hair in it, that, oh, beautiful. I, I was cheering. I was like, yeah. <laughs> Based on what happens when they do that, I don't know why you were cheering. <laughs> because it was such a good scene. But um, that, that is part of it. The social and meta contextual aspect of it. What are your thoughts? I just think that's bogus, man. <laughs> I am always one for trying to, I wouldn't say read things in. I would say draw things out of a movie. And I, I fully support trying to find meaning in everything. Even a, a movie like Blair Witch that is a horror movie that's a sequel and part of this franchise. And it's not necessarily some hot new thing on the block like the original Blair Witch Project. But I just don't see that at all. That indictment of the generation that wants to record itself and social media, which obviously there have been movies made about that, but I just don't see it at all in this movie. This is another documentary class project, which Callie Hernandez is playing the lead character and her name is Lisa. And so now it's Lisa's project and she's going to record James and they bring their friends with them. So it's not it's not just like clout chasers going in Although but, we but get that, that's the beauty, though. That's the beauty that it's not just social media people, which would have hit it too hard on the head. That it's these people who go out there with all their little technology, all of these grand things. They're recruiting the locals, and they feel like they have everything on their side, and they're still destroyed. It's not that they were prepared. It's not that the original 1999 people were not prepared. It's that despite all their preparation, they're still going to die one by one. Yeah, so maybe, I mean, a critique of human hubris or something, I can see what you're saying, but this specific line about people who like to record themselves, I just don't see that aspect anywhere in this movie. And maybe you can make a point that Lane, who's one of the locals, has this YouTube channel, and he uploaded the footage that they follow up on, and then he ingratiates himself and they all got into the woods together. Like, maybe there's something to be said there, but... I, I just don't see what you're saying. And so, I, would, I mean, I would say, hey, listeners, like, people following along, even though I didn't like this movie, I actually think it's worth watching because, I mean, you're going to get one huge recommendation from it and, and seeing maybe it'll work for you, but it, it just didn't work for me. And, and it does things with tech. It, I'm, I, I, I don't care about breaking new ground in film, but it does things with cameras that we don't get to see that help accentuate the horror. And some of that, it comes from the, the earpiece cameras that yes. they wear. And it there's a, a massive importance placed on point of view shots in both of these movies. And part of the reason the horror is so effective, for most people, even though I wasn't necessarily on the edge of my seat, is that you are not just kind of seeing the movie through the eyes of the main character, you are often seeing the exact point of view of the main characters following their cameras around. And it involves you in the scares. That is really, frankly, awesome. But I think part of the reason I didn't like Blair Witch is because of 
what I would call excesses in a way. And I think they went a little overboard in trying to use these different cameras as there's a ton of shots early on in the movie that don't seem to exist for any other reason except to establish a different shot. Like for example, somebody is either using one of the handhelds or their eyepiece camera, or yeah, it's an eye, or an earpiece camera. And they're looking at something, and they turn to but, the right, and you see the girlfriend of Lane walking think, off, and then she pulls up her camera, and then we switch to her point of view. But don't you think that's also, I, I mean, if this were actually a documentary, if people were actually students out there trying to, they're, they're, I, I mean, I'm not saying they're good documentarians, but this is what they would do. They would try and do, look at the camera from different points of view and be like, oh, look at this shot. Oh, look at this shot. Oh, look at what this one. Oh, let's try the drone. There's nothing around here for the drone to actually fly off to. The first time they, the first time they're in the woods and they fly the drone, it just goes like up, does a loop, comes back down. They're not actually really using a drone for how it could have been used in that moment. And that's part of the thing. These people don't know how to use what they've been given. I mean, what do you mean? They don't know how to use what they They're can stupid. <laughs> they can't make a they, documentary. They deserve to die. Of course they're stupid. I don't know. Oh my gosh. They deserve to die. So cold, Christian. Where, where's your sense of humanism? Oh, just wait till we talk about the movie next week. <laughs> so I want to get your take on this because one of the worst parts of Blair Witch for me is all of the added mythologizing that they do. And I think Adam Wingard, who's the director here, gets totally lost in the mythology of the Blair Witch. And in the original, they're setting all of it up, and they give you piece by piece, and then when you realize things are getting dark and dangerous, you have all of these little things to draw on that keep reappearing, whether it be piles of rocks or the Blair Witch totems. And the sequel, in my opinion, gets completely lost in the sauce. We have a now visible something or other, which apparently, according to the people who worked on this movie, isn't actually the Blair Witch, even though she's credited as the Blair Witch. So there's something. We get It's like this... a big piece... Uh, someone on Letterboxd said, it's like a big piece of string cheese. Exactly. Like, I love that. I love... It was... Because you never get a full shot of it. Right. But there, there is that now. And then there's also... Especially at the end of the movie is where this happens. But building up, you have... You're messing with time and light, and it's like some kind of time loop. And then you get to the house from the end of the first movie. They end up there again, and they go, like, not exploring intentionally. They're trying to survive and escape, but people are going crazy, and we're led to believe it's because of the Blair Witch. and And there's so much going on that it feels like Wingard is just throwing a bunch of things at the wall and seeing what sticks, and then nothing does, and it all just flops to the floor. But that's okay. You disliked The Conjuring 2. I wouldn't say I disliked The Conjuring 2. I disliked the last, like, 15 to 20 minutes of The Conjuring 2. I think the last 15 to 20 minutes of The Conjuring 2 is what happened throughout the entire hour and a half of this movie. You just threw everything in there. And sometimes that sucks. Like, sometimes I agree with you. You, you're, you're, you're... Steps hit the feeling, ceiling, I don't know, shit hit the fan. <laughs> I'm just gonna, whatever. Bleep it. <laughs> I don't care. Uh, but you, it's like there to establish how no one knows what the Blair Witch is, which is the mystery that was in the first movie that's also in this one. And despite, uh, Josh Larson says that it's, for the most part, a minimalist movie until the end where it makes maximalist, um, you know, changes. But the, 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 
I don't know. We still don't know what the Blair Witch even really looks like. We still don't know what she can actually control. We still don't know exactly how she's killing all of these people, and yet she's doing it. And by throwing everything into the mixture, it's scary. I think for me, the, the mixture just, it got frustrating. And there's too much going on, and it it's so much unnecessary expanding of the world happening not all at once because it's over the course of the movie but you're trying to mythologize something that was better when it was not mythologized the original Blair Witch Project builds on this this legend of the Blair Witch that everybody thinks is just this scary story people tell around a campfire until of course the people living it find out that it is very real and of course it means they lose their lives whereas in Blair Witch it it uh, Actually, going back to The Conjuring 2, the reason I don't like the ending of that movie, if you've seen it, is because it goes from what is otherwise a very successful horror movie with effective scares into just a very Hollywoody, CGI-heavy, kind of cheesy, almost, corny, almost, series of events. And that is how I feel about all of Blair Witch. It's very Hollywoody. They're obviously using a bigger budget. And this whole movie was scripted as opposed to the first movie, which was an almost entirely improvised. And there's that added Hollywood okay. gloss. G- give me something. doesn't though. work for me. I think that the actors, even though it was scripted, still did a pretty good job. I don't really have anything wrong with the actors here. And I will okay. say, Callie Hernandez, who's playing Lisa, who is basically the Heather for this movie... She is someone that I've been aware of because she is in one scene in La La Land. She's one of <laughs> one of the roommates who are uh... dancing during Someone in the Crowd. And so I've been like vaguely aware of her because I adore that movie. And I was really excited to see her in a leading role here because honestly, she's great. And there is her, you know, a, a moment for her during the end of this movie where she's trying to escape and fight for her life. That's just like scene after scene of great horror movie acting. So, I mean, I don't really have complaints about the performances here. It's just everything else going on, the things that they're asked to do, and the ways that the story is going that did not work for me in the slightest, especially as I reflected on the movie. And in a weird sort of way, I think there are some really effective scares here, and it's, like I said, it's not a complete failure, it's not a train wreck, but as I reflected on it, it sort of soured for me. And I... Whereas the original Blur Witch Project kind of bumped up in esteem <laughs> when I was thinking about these differences and what worked well about the original as opposed to the follow-up. Okay, we're let's let's end. Let let's stop the discussion. I I actually don't hate that you dislike this movie. <laughs> I I am understanding of it despite that I disagree. That being said, are you ready for next week's further view into sequels i sure am christian and i will say before we move on here uh, if you want to check these movies out for yourself if you have not had a chance (laughs) yeah don't go into the woods and look for the footage they already they already made a movie out of it they so blair witch is streaming on hulu and the blair witch project it uh, some places say streaming on hulu but it is not currently Unless maybe you have some of the add-ons. I don't know. Where did you watch the original? I watched it on Hulu, but when it was actually still on there. Oh, okay. So things may have changed with the, with the August to September shift in month. So it is rentable and viewable many, many places. I rented it from Prime. 
Christian was able to stream it. So definitely check these movies out, especially if you haven't seen the original Blair Witch Project. Join me and was this your first time? It was my first time. It was our first time. We're both glad to have finally seen it. So if you have not yet had a chance to watch it, do it. And now Christian's going to share what's coming up next week. Uh, We are going to be watching the 1978 horror classic Halloween and pairing it with the 2018 retcon, (laughs) being everything that came before it, despite the fact that it has like 11 sequels, Halloween. (laughs) Now, don't get confused, folks. There is another movie part of this franchise that is only called Halloween Halloween from 2007, directed by Rob Zombie. You can feel free to watch it, but we're not going to be talking about it. <laughs> we are watching the one directed by David Gordon Green and written by him and Deborah Hill. But that is... So, um, oh, uh, 1978 Halloween is available on Hoopla. 2018 Halloween, I rented from the... I didn't rent it. I got it from the library. But I think it's available in some red boxes still. There you go. And on Prime. Other, yeah, other places to rent, I am sure. Uh, the Halloween franchise famously is very twisted up. <laughs> there are, uh, there's the original series, and then there are spinoffs, not spinoffs, but sequels that came in to retcon a few of the sequels that did not have Jamie Lee Curtis, I don't think, and they brought her back. Then there's the Rob Zombie movies that are completely distinct, and now David Gordon Green is making a bunch, with one coming out later this year. Halloween correct? Kills. Halloween Kills, which... And then one next year called Halloween Ends. Yes. <laughs> So, maybe a little bit of lack of suspense for Halloween Kills, but all in all, I do not have any exposure to this franchise, and especially as slashers go. It is one of the most iconic from that subgenre, so I'm really excited to watch the original especially, and I heard a lot of good things about Halloween from a couple years ago, and so I'm excited to check these both out and compare. Do you have any connections or familiarity? I've already seen the movies with my sister. I'm going to... I am going to say some things next week that, based on me knowing who you are, you will be very upset. Oh, no. (laughs) Knowing who I am, and I haven't even seen these movies. Intrigue is already building, folks. So, catch up with Halloween 1978 and Halloween 2018, if you have not seen them yet, because that's what's coming up in our horror movies with this... With their eventual With their eventual sequels. Parentheses of the same name. Parentheses. <laughs> uh, if you have reached this point in the episode here, thank you so much for listening. Christian and I love watching these movies and sharing our conversations, and so it means a lot that there are folks out there listening along. There are a few things that you can do to support the podcast if you wouldn't mind. But number one, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Helps us reach listeners there. You can also please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. As again, growing subscriber count helps us continue to reach new listeners. And honestly, Christian and I really want to start doing advertising on this podcast. I need some of that Squarespace money, you know. So, hey, keep subscribing. Eventually we can get some ads on here. You know, you can use use code DRIP for 15% off your first website or something. Not yet, but if you want to try it, sure. Or if you have something you want us to advertise, get in touch. And give us money. In addition to subscribing and... I have student debt. Christian has student debt. And rating, you can also engage with us elsewhere. But number one, the number one way that you can do that is by sending us an email at cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. 
We love to read the emails that we get from y'all here on the podcast and incorporate your ideas and suggestions into the show. Uh, our guy, Paul Gonzalez, still has me brainstorming about baseball movies to force Christian into watching next month, so get excited about that. Are you excited, Christian? I am done. There are many good baseball movies, Christian. There are. Sure. There are. <laughs> I'm sure of that. But I also, I, I'm not decided, so keep, you know, keep your, your nose, not nose, keep your ear, listen, ear to the ground, keep listening. You'll find out what's coming next month in due time. And hey, if you have ideas for suggestions that we could cover next month, you can send us an email, just like Paul did at cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on social media, especially on Letterboxd, where Christian and I are rating and reviewing the things that we are watching. If you think he's nuts about Blair Witch, you can go leave him a comment. I'm sure he'd appreciate that. I would. Christian, any final thoughts for those listening along at home? I liked Blair Witch a lot. (laughs) You really did. And I didn't. But hey, maybe you'll watch it and love it as much as Christian. Halloween is next week, folks, so stay tuned. But until next time, this has been the Cinema Drip Podcast.